You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. 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 To the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast. Today's episode is with the delightful Elizabeth Grujon. Elizabeth is the definition of self-made in Hollywood and she's here today to talk about themes such as self-compassion, meditation, mindfulness and more. Elizabeth is one of the most beautiful souls I've had the pleasure of talking to on the podcast and her joy and passion for life is extremely infectious and I'm sure just by listening to the way she speaks you are going to feel uplifted and full of joy and compassion. So let's get straight into the episode. Elizabeth, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Very exciting. My pleasure. Now, I want to center this episode around mindfulness and meditation and things like that. But I first want to talk to you about how you built your incredible career. What was your childhood like? And was acting always the dream? Yes. So um, in my childhood, I'm a first generation American. So my parents immigrated um, from the Dominican Republic. And so my whole family and everyone in it is, um, is from the Dominican Republic is, you know, from that lifestyle from a third world country came to this, this country with nothing, no money, no English, you know, really nothing. So, I mean, with a, with a lot of intangible things that we can't really measure and that society doesn't care about, like love, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) Um, but nothing real tangible. So, um, that was, that's kind of my origin story. And so I grew up in, in Queens, New York, you know, very much middle class. Like we had just enough kind of to get by. We weren't poor, but we were paycheck to paycheck. Um, my, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a postman. So, um, it was it was modest, really modest, and certainly no one in my family had ever had ever even really conceived of the idea of being a full time actor or what that means. Or I mean, it was like a completely we had no idea. So, um, but yeah, it started really young for me when I was like eight years old. I um, I all the kids in um, in my classroom. They, the teacher was asking like what they wanted to be when they grew up and kids were saying like an astronaut and a race car driver and a ballerina and I couldn't decide I really wanted to be all of those things so I figured if I was an actor I could do them all because you know in one movie I would be an astronaut and the next I'd be a race car driver and then in the third I could be a ballerina so that was my logic and I think um my whole life, very young, my father loves movies. Just that's our thing. Like my, me, my dad and my brother, we just would, you know, go to Blockbuster on a Friday night and rent, um, 
two or even three movies if we were being crazy and watch them throughout the weekend. I don't know if your listeners won't know what Blockbuster is. Do you guys know what that is? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't we don't have it over here, but I'm sure that, um, well, I know what it is anyway. I'm sure everyone's familiar with it through like... We don't have know. it anymore either. It's it's a very, that, that dates me. Um, that was pre-Netflix, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, the video store. So um, yeah, that, that love started really young and um, I think I saw some actors like on the Oprah Winfrey show watching with my mom and they just seemed like really big people who were doing big things. Like, um, I remember seeing actors on that show in particular talking about, you know, building wells in Africa or building schools or, or contributing in some big way. And I thought, wow, this is perfect. You know, I could be creative and be a big person who does meaningful things in the world. So I think, you know, I think it's, it was probably touching on some deeper things on a subconscious level, but that was kind of how I pieced it together as a young child. And then, yeah, I never, I never dropped that obsession and and that desire. Um, And I went to performing arts high school. I went to a, a theater training program for college and did like all the classics, you know, classical training, dance, um, singing, uh, and acting. And, um, and then eventually took the plunge and moved out to Los Angeles and I didn't know anybody. Um, and I, I got myself a manager and I just started auditioning and it was not easy for me. Like it's not, I see, I hear these podcasts and I see all these interviews with people who are like my second audition, I got this show and the rest is history. And that is so not, my story. Um, it was like, you know, plugging away for years, um, and trying different things and learning different things. And, and, and really it was when I came to myself through, through mindfulness, through meditation, that things started to kind of shift in a, in a, you know, in a more impactful way in terms of my career. Do you think that that resilience you had, I mean, you mentioned you didn't get the first few jobs that you auditioned for, and many people would have given up there. The first you know, few you, hundred. <laughs> do you think that that sort of spirit and mentality comes from, you know, the fact you mentioned you're first generation American, and you may well not have had these opportunities, or your parents, might, you know, most certainly wouldn't have had those opportunities. Do you think that that gives you an advantage in the sense that it gives you a great sense of gratitude? I think my parents made sure to instill in me um, some of those principles. Certainly hard work. uh, My dad always says hard work never killed anybody, which is actually not true, but you get the idea. (laughs) Um, And um, and a sense of gratitude, um, keeping your eye on what's really important and not getting distracted by by the noise, um, or even the successes, the material things like, um, my parents were really big on, on that. In particular, my father, he's kind of, he has a a bit more of a spiritual bent. Um, but as far as me, I didn't know any different. Like I was just growing up like this little brown skinned child of immigrants in America. I didn't, no to compare it to the Dominican Republic. I've never even been to the Dominican Republic, actually. So it's not like I had um, that firsthand experience, but I think my parents did. And, and they they were huge on that. Um, 
And I, you know, actually, again, on the Oprah Winfrey show, I remember some young actor was being interviewed one time and Oprah asked him, I don't remember who it was, but Oprah asked him, um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? And he said that he had uh, met Tom Hanks once at like a luncheon or a gifting suite or something. And he asked Tom Hanks for some acting advice. And Tom Hanks took a moment and thought, thoughtfully replied, persevere. That was it. That was his advice. And I, that stuck with me. I, th- I probably saw that interview when I was, you know, I don't know, 13 or something. And that stuck with me. It's just like, what else are you going to do? Give up? Like, come on. That can't be the story. Just keep pushing. I mean, that's we hear it all the time from actors or or motivational speakers or spiritual gurus or or you know, we we know this. And so when it comes down to it, it's like every rejection, every no, everybody's saying for me it wasn't like people saying like, "Oh, you're never going to make it" or you just don't have this or it was more people being like, "We don't know what why this isn't working. Like you're so great. We totally believe in you, but just not this time or you were really great in the audition, but no, not this, not this time. So it was just, which is even more annoying because it's like some mysterious misalignment. But, um, every time that happens, it's like, okay, well that's, that's going to have to just fuel me and give me more volition to do it and get it and be it and prove everybody wrong or prove everybody right who believes in me and just can't quite put their finger on me yet. Or, you know, I just, I can't live with the, with the idea that I was bested by, by rejection or something, you know? So you mentioned that decision you made to up and move to LA. And of course it must be so much risk involved in a decision like that. You know, there's the chance that, you know, it may well not work out. Or, you know, it, it could well work out. You have no idea. You're essentially gambling with your, your life and your livelihood. What made that decision so easy to make in the end? Um, I was, at the time I was in my early 20s, and I always knew I wanted to be a movie star. You know, like, again, when I was eight years old, I was like, oh, okay, I'll just be then, I'll just be Denzel. <laughs> I'll just be <laughs> Julia. <laughs> so I knew I had to do it. Um. There were many, many theater opportunities calling me to stay in Minneapolis, where I went to school, and uh, and or also New York. And this kind of regional theater lifestyle was like kind of actively seeking my participation. And so I had to come to a point where I, I said no. I, I turned down actual jobs for uh, the potentiality of, of one day being able to work in Los Angeles. Um, but I just knew it. I don't know. It was, again, it was so deep inside me from when I was very young. It was like what, at, at the time, actually, I was in a relationship with somebody who I was with for six years. We st- we got together when I was 19 years old, wonderful person. And, um, and he hated Los Angeles and he wanted to move back to Minneapolis and, and be with near his family. And he, he even would say things like, um, like, kind of just persuading me like this is so hard like do you really want this why can't we just go to Minneapolis and be happy and have you know a normal life and a nice apartment and get a dog and um because LA is LA is rough you know I mean it's it's expensive especially when you're starting out it's expensive like 
it takes a while to form your tribe, to find your people, to get a good community going, to feel like you know what you're doing. So that's quite tempting when someone's kind of offering you this cushy, like, just pull the ejection cord on your dream. Um, but I don't know. I guess I don't know how to explain the, the, the that kind of beast within me that's like, no, I got to make it. I got to do it on my own. I got to, like... I have to see this through, like, I have to see what's possible. I, um, but I do remember one time when I was in high school, my mom, um, it was senior year and I was thinking about where to go for college and my, and I was a smart kid. I had good grades and stuff and I had many different interests and my, and I asked my mom, you know, maybe I should go to school to be a lawyer. Cause I love arguing. I love like rational debate and, or, um, or a doctor cause I'm fascinated by the human body. Um, cause being an actor seems really, really hard. And she said, you know, what's hard, Elizabeth is going to a job every day that you hate. That's really, really hard. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. Mic drop. So yeah, the, my, I think my parents just having that mentality, like you got one life. Like do it, do your thing, do your, take your shot, you know, and whatever happens, I don't know, even if I got, I got to a point in LA where it's like, okay, you know, I don't know. I'm still figuring all this out. Maybe who who knows where it'll all lead, but at least I, I can kind of feel like I, I really was taking swings, you know? When you were originally out there and like you said, you were facing hundreds upon hundreds of rejections. Were you doing anything at the time to supplement living costs or were you just barely scraping by? Oh, yeah, I was waiting tables. I waited <laughs> tables for years and years and years. Um, I never had, you know, my my family. I mean, they helped with, you know, paying for my education as best as they could. But once that was up and I was an adult, I was an adult. Like, no, no checks were being sent my way by mom and dad. So... <laughs> Uh, again, that's like a very, um, I think it's another like hardworking immigrant thing. Like you got to go to work. There's no, my parents will always be like, you're, you're young and you have an able body, go to work. There's no reason why you can't. So, um, so yeah, I worked, I worked on my feet and I took people's orders and carried dishes and plates and all of this for, for years, like five nights a week or something. And I was still kind of getting by. I learned a lot about money when I, um, as I've learned more about kind of the universe and spirituality and the way things actually are. And one of the things I learned about, the main thing is that like money is like, it's kind of a mentality. Uh, it's like a, it's an energy that flows and we can kind of align with it or not, but by, by how we think. And I think unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but the other side of the coin of like, you know, being a hardworking, coming from that immigrant mentality, like you got to work hard, you got to go get it. That's all wonderful. And it certainly made me who I am. I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. But the flip side of that coin is kind of like this um, unconscious belief that things need to be a struggle. And that you need to struggle in order for things to be like worthwhile or that anything worth having you have to struggle for. Again, maybe there is some truth in, in those statements, but I find that things flow to me a lot easier when I swap those out for like, 
other thoughts like money comes to me easily. I receive easily. This doesn't have to be that hard. I can just like kind of glide into my my jobs and my situations, my circumstances, if, if that makes sense. For sure. And in a career like acting, how do you strike a balance between doing work that's going to pay the bills and doing work that's going to bring you fulfillment and make you truly happy? How do you make your decisions, you know, balancing those two factors? Well, to be 100% honest with you, paying the bills makes me happy. Yeah, that's a great answer. <laughs> it really does. It really does. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm certainly an artist and I love, you know, think, doing things that are meaningful and thinking about things in a meaningful way, regardless of what I'm doing. It's, it, I, I hate feeling really cheap, like I'm doing something just for money. There have been jobs, um, even maybe not that long ago, like a few years ago, I was, uh, I got a recurring role on a TV show that I had, when I auditioned for it, I had a full scene of lines and I knew I had to do a sex scene with the lead character. And then when I got to set, I, they, the first thing I did was the sex scene and then, um, when I got to my lines, they cut them all and there was only one sentence. And that was a moment of like, oh God, like I'm not a porn star. Like, what am I doing? Like, this is not it, you know? Um, and that it just really hurt. It just hurt to feel kind of cheapened. Um, so, you know, things like that, it's like, okay, that's, that, that ain't it. You know what I mean? Like I'd rather tables, but, um, but on the other hand, I don't know, I do. I did a, a huge campaign for Mercedes-Benz where we got to travel for, t- for 10 days and that set me up financially in a wonderful way for like the rest of that year. And I don't look down on that. I don't go, oh, it's just a commercial. I'm just doing commercials. Like I can't like to get by. I can't wait to do film. I'm like, no, that was awesome. And I loved it. <laughs> I can't wait to do some more <laughs> stuff like that. So I just, it, it brings me joy to pay the bills. So I find, I find a lot of joy in, in, all, all different types of work on your website one of the things that that struck me was um on your about section you define yourself as the universe unfolding in ecstatic wonder about itself and <laughs> more than the sum of my experiences and you also suggest that this is true of us all for those who are like myself not so profound as you maybe <laughs> um could you elaborate on that and uh, sort of explain what that means in uh, in more simple terms? Hmm. Well, I think what I was pointing at is um, that we're more than the stories we tell about ourselves in our mind. Like, we all have this set of, like, rehearsed stories um, that we repeat over and over, like, hundreds and thousands of times a day in our minds. Like, I am Elizabeth. I am the daughter of immigrants. I am an actress. I am Dominican. I'm a woman. Um, those, and those are in the, in relative terms, those things are true. But, um, when we practice mindfulness, when we practice meditation, we start to realize that there's more than, than that. Um, and it creates kind of a more sense of like an open, um, an openness and an open space for kind of more possibility. Um, 
and this is all quite a difficult thing to explain or conceptualize because that's the point is that it it goes beyond concept and language because concept and language are of the mind but I did the best I could in in the about me and in my on my website it's like hinting at the idea because I say things like I am um I'm joyful and I'm full of rage I'm um I'm courageous and I'm terrified the idea being that like I'm not one thing and it's changing and I it kind of kind of in a subtle way encouraging the reader and, and reminding myself to identify more with this sense of awareness of what is arising right now rather than the thing that's arising so I can be kind of this like witness consciousness some people have called it of like, oh, okay, anger is arising, joy is arising. Um, and again, it's it's a really tricky thing to kind of talk about, but I, um, for example, you know, with the acting thing, I identified so strongly as an actress, almost to where it became too precious and too rigid. Like that was such a huge part of my identity that I had to prove myself as an actress. When I went into audition rooms, I think people could feel that that sense of of gravity to how much it meant to me and how seriously I took it. And I would get so frustrated because friends of mine uh, would who had never acted a day in their life and were just like, you know, whatever, just like vibing it out, figuring it out, would go into auditions and get like really big roles on big productions and, you know, and I was, and I was there. Like I, I have a degree in acting. I have studied it. I have done every beat of this character, and I wasn't getting. I wasn't even getting the callback. So that would confuse me. And I started um, one of one of my main mentors in the mindfulness and meditation space is um, a teacher called Chandresh, um, friend of mine from India, and. I, he was one of the first people I really started going deep into practice with. And he, he would guide us in this meditation where he just repeats the mantra, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And he, he, would, he guides you to kind of watch the answers enter and exit your field of awareness. Like, I'm an actress. I'm a la la la. And just let them exit. Like, just kind of soften. And that was really big for me. It was actually quite scary to to drop or or even soften the the identity of being an actress. But when I did, it was really powerful. The energy moved and and I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm much more than that. I'm this living being, this breathing creature here. You know, I'm alive." And I think so when we when we soften our our stories about ourselves, it, it opens us up to be able to change and not repeat patterns so much. Um, and also to, to feel into our aliveness. And, um, and that, that's pretty cool. I think it's been big for me. At what point in your life did you start exploring these ideas and, and this way of thinking? How old were you? I probably started walking toward practice around like age 26 or 27. Uh, it may have been around age 25 when my best friend bought me the book The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Yeah, classic. 
Then that blew my mind. It's really cool. Have you read that book? Yeah, I do have it. Yeah. Did you have that experience when you were reading that book where, like, you actually felt a shift in your consciousness? Like, you were reading it at the right time for you where your brain was like, oh. Yeah, no, I know what you mean exactly. Me too. It was really big. That bit where he talks about the um, how much empty space there is in every room we're in, mm. how much silence there is. I got that. Like, I was like reading the books, laying in my bed, and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, would you say that? I mean, I guess those would be two mentors you've mentioned. Are there any other mentors that you continue to learn from? Absolutely, yeah. Um, my, my main teacher in mindfulness in particular is a woman called Heather Preet, P-R-E-T-E. And she has some wonderful online offerings, online meditations and things. Although, to be honest, there's nothing quite like sitting with her in real life. Um, she teaches here in Los Angeles. She comes from a long 20-year history of of training and teaching in the um, Buddhist compassion practices, Tibetan Buddhism, and then segueing that into secular mindfulness. So um, taking out kind of the rituals and iconography of Buddhism, but keeping the principal teachings. She teaches at UCLA. Um, UCLA has a great program for mindfulness as well, the Mindfulness Awareness Research Center, if people are interested. But yeah, Heather is um, an ongoing close friend and mentor of mine. and. Um, I also really love the book, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Have you read that book? No, I, ha I haven't. Oh, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to check out that book, The Untethered Soul. Um, that's another, in the same kind of sphere as, as uh, The Power of Now in terms of when you read it and when you're ready for it, it really opens up. It can open up like new doors in your consciousness. It's a really cool book. Cool. I'm I've just actually made note of that now. So uh, yeah, I'll, uh, you read it. Please email me and let me know what you think. Now, aside from the things that you know, meditation and mindfulness has done for you in terms of your career. I wonder what is done for you as a person, as an individual. I mean, if you look at yourself prior to practicing mindfulness and meditation and look at yourself post finding practice what are the main things and differences that you notice yeah i love that question wow um it has made me more um grounded and present and resilient particularly in the sense of being able to hold space like I feel like before like my entry point my kind of conditioning when I came in was like super codependent people pleaser really anxious um and um and I don't know that my teacher Heather she always says like if we're like if we're like in fight or flight mode, we can't really help in a crisis. You know, the people who are like, the people who are like super compassionate, you know, like, um, sympathetic, like, um, hyper sympathetic, um, no boundaries, 
you know, a highly, they, they call themselves, and I'm one of these people, highly sensitive person, uh, empath, uh, an intuit, this type of person. Without any practice, you're just like somebody, if somebody's like, you know, calls you crying or something or is like super freaked out or has had an accident or has been diagnosed with an illness, the res your response is like, no, I'm crying. I'm so upset with you. Like, oh my God. <laughs> and that's really sweet and all, but you can't really help if you're um, thrown into your parasympathetic or your, your, your fight or flight response. So I think that was a bit um, how I was. And that's how many of us are when we're highly intuitive, highly sensitive people. And we, no one teaches us these things in the West, you know, like self-compassion and mindfulness. And so we have to figure it out the hard way. First, you have to go through years. Of, or I had to go through years of like toxic codependent relationships and, um, and self-sabotage and, and stuff. So I think that I, I've seen a marked difference in, in certainly in those ways, the quality of my relationships, my romantic relationships, the patterns have changed. Um, and that's because of time spent sitting with myself and giving myself a, a lot of the things that I need that I was seeking outward. And then um, the, this isn't a mindfulness thing, but the, I was kind of touching on like the, the money thing or, you know, Louise Hay is another inspirational person her affirmations and abraham hicks just learning a little bit about like all right how can i use my mind to help me instead of like get in my way it and that that has resulted in me having a lot more success and being more comfortable and not having to serve tables anymore um and then i think you know with with myself and and really with others i i see a marked difference in terms of if somebody um you know, is going through something or, or needs to get something off their chest or a friend or, you know, when they speak with me now versus before I'm, um, I, I'm not giving them advice. I'm not telling them what they should do. Uh, I, I, I give, I honor others with the, the great honor of saying, I don't know what's best for you, but I'm here for you. I love you. You know, that's a big thing. With, when we don't know any better, I certainly, I was like, back in the day, I was like, giving advice, like, kind of, it's just a, a less skillful way of being. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> okay, so for someone who may be listening to, to you speak right now, and they're thinking, you know, Elizabeth sold me on the benefits of meditation, mindfulness, I want to start, but I don't know how. I'm not the spiritual type. It looks complicated. I, I don't know where to start. I don't know what that first step is. What or where is the easiest, the most basic place that they can start to, to practice these things? How simple can it be to start out? Yeah, <clears throat> I love that. Yeah, because it's so true. Like it can feel so hippy dippy and so complex. Um, I really like the idea of starting with five minutes, five minutes in the morning. Um, I, this is what I did. I sat down for five minutes on my carpet on a pillow and I, I literally set an alarm on my phone for five minutes and, and tried to, for five minutes, just bring my awareness to my breath and my body and the present moment. And then, um, and then whenever my mind carried me away, 
just notice it and then come back to my breath for five minutes. And I remember the first time I did that, I thought the alarm on my phone must have broken because it felt like an hour. I was like, is this, are people seriously doing this? This is insane. It's so hard. But um, it gets easier. It gets it gets easier pretty quickly, you know. Um, and it just goes to show how untrained our minds are and our inability to to sustain focus. Um, so I think that's the best way to start. Just five minutes, just okay. breathing, coming back to the breath, coming back to the breath. But it is difficult like that to start on your own. So there's some great resources online. Um, the the meditation studio where I discovered practice is called the den meditation d-e-n and it's in los angeles but they actually have like a full online presence and especially now because of the quarantine um all of the classes are virtual so that's super fun you can kind of practice um another great one is um an app called insight timer where there's a uh, thousands of free meditations um and the nice thing about those is they're kind of short like i think when you're beginning just don't try to do too much just do 10 minutes five minutes um and then my a big mentor of mine who i love so much is a woman named tara brock her last name is b-r-a-c-h and she has a lot of she has a free podcast a lot of talks online free meditations on her podcast and online and that woman wow she's that's a great resource for people because you can kind of listen to her talk you can feel the vibe and then she might guide you to close your eyes for a minute but it's nothing like where you have to feel like you're diving off a cliff you know now there's something you've touched on already but i'd love to dive into it a little bit deeper and is this idea of self-compassion. Why is this such an important practice? Self-compassion is really important because we we actually, everything we do in life is kind of like a projection. <laughs> how we treat others is actually a projection of how we've treated ourselves and how others have treated us. Um, and we're repeating a lot of things that we've learned um, from when we were children. So self-compassion offers us the opportunity to break up the pattern, to, to create new. Without that, without mindful self-compassion, we end up, and this is really, this is science. It's not a spiritual thing. It, it's, a psych, it's a psychology thing. We end up repeating um, our conditioning. You know, it's a, that's why people who have been, that may be abandoned or neglected or abused as small children may find themselves repeating some of those behaviors as in adulthood or maybe dealing with addiction in adulthood or having a difficulty keeping a healthy, intimate relationship in adulthood. Like it's, it's that inner child. Um, so with mindful self-compassion, it's like you're stepping into into now in a very real way, the present moment. And then in the present moment, you're actually interacting with these parts within you that are, that have felt perhaps quite neglected or ignored or abused even. 
And we all have them. No one gets out of childhood totally unscathed. And that's by design, actually. That's the point. No, no, no one's childhood was supposed to be perfect. There's no such thing as a perfectly aligned parent. Um, this is a skill that we're supposed to cultivate and we actually need to have. Um, and when we do that, we can start to offer outward to you know, our partners, to our children, to our community, um, something a little bit more skillful, a little bit more um, useful than maybe the cross wiring that we that we had gotten when we were kids. Am I making any sense? Absolutely, you are. And just to add on to that question, you know, for the people listening at home and myself that may struggle with this and really want to work on it, what are the some of the ways that we can practice that self compassion on a daily basis? You know, what are the first steps we can take? Yeah, um, well, just checking in with yourself, taking a deep breath, and just kind of checking in. Like, how's my body? Uh, where is there tension? All right, my shoulders are a little tight. I can soften the nose. Oh, okay. Just kind of checking in. How am I doing? You know, when's the last time I had a glass of water? Um, little things like that are super helpful. Um, and then we can, we can take it further. If you know, I, I sit on a daily basis on a, these days, uh, with the quarantine and everything kind of being changed in my life, uh, it's not as consistent as I, as I, as it once was and as it will be again. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, sitting and, and just checking in um with yourself physically taking a deep breath and then maybe taking it a step further checking in with your inner world like how are you doing how are you doing sweetheart um <laughs> Thich Nhat Han talks about it he's the zen master a zen master and um, another oh man what a guy what a mentor um he talks about it as it's like the big brother how the big brother interacts with the little brother who scraped his knee you know it's like you have the five-year-old who just scraped his knee and it's bleeding and he's crying and the first thing you say isn't like you shouldn't have run so fast why didn't you be more careful that's not how we treat a little one who's hurting we, we say oh sweetheart I know I know that hurts come here I got you I'm here I love you and so we can start to treat ourselves in this way but we don't instead when we're in pain um, we come down on ourselves pretty hard because we think that that'll decrease the chances of us making that mistake again in the future. But it doesn't. This, the research shows that um, self-flagellation like that actually, it, it reinforces the neural pathways that led to that behavior in the first place, which is why like addiction cycles are quite hard to break. So it's like the shame and the punishment that's actually not helping. So we have to find a way to kind of, you know, not be angry with ourselves for being angry or not be afraid of fear, like to break the, it's, it's really a trip mentally. Cause you're like, all right, I'm trying to outsmart myself in a way. Um, but the simplest way to look at it is, is taking that deep breath, dropping down into your heart center and coming at yourself with this kind of heartfulness again like the big brother like what do you need right now i think that that brother analogy is a 
a fantastic way to sum it up because I guess thinking about it, that self-talk is something that people just, you don't really give a second thought to really. You don't, you don't stop and think about that sort of thing. Yeah, no kidding. Actually, I, I've told this story a couple of times, but it was such a big moment for me. And just again, relating to the acting thing, um, my teacher, Heather, who I mentioned, she had been teaching me about these things that we're talking about. Like, okay, I can, oh, there's a person in here. <laughs> like, and this person deserves love as much as any other person on the planet. And uh, so I started practicing in that way. Yeah, mindful self-compassion. One day I was driving in the car and I started to have anxiety. Another thing, very important thing about anxiety, it, it's like a check engine light in your car. It's just your body going, hey, uh, need a little attention here. <laughs> uh, we look at it as a bad thing or some kind of mental disorder, but actually it's a, it's a very healthy body signaling to you, hey, I need, I need some uh, attention and care. So I had learned this. So I was like, oh, okay. I was driving in the car and I had some kind of low-grade anxiety, like my heart just started pounding a little faster, my, the butterflies in my stomach, my, my throat started to tighten. But I had practiced a little bit enough to be like, oh, something's happening. Uh, um, the check engine light. Let me, let me go check what's up. And so well, still while in the car, I just took a breath and I just kind of checked in with myself, like, what's up, sweetheart? What's, what's going on? And this little voice from like deep down inside me was like totally freaking out and screaming, what if I never make it as an actress? What if I'm not good enough and I never get on a TV show? And I was like, oh shit, you think like, you think that? Some part of, some voice in, in there is afraid of that. I didn't know that. But if I didn't know that and that was kicking around, then isn't that kicking around when I go into an audition or when I work on the material or when I show up on set? You know, so this is what I mean when I go, oh, there's stories that are floating back there that have, uh, you know, up until we start practicing been kind of unexamined. And really, there's, they're not threatening. They just need a little love and attention. And the, the really wonderful reminder that, like, you don't have to believe everything you think. Like, just because a little voice in me is screaming, that doesn't mean it's true. And so I just, I just interacted with it again, like the big brother and the little brother. Like, oh, okay, I know that's scary. I'm here for you. And then I think that right there empowered me in a new way the next time I went into an audition room, you know. And that's really when things started to click in my um, acting career. You know, it's it's absolutely amazing to me to think that deep down there are these anxieties and, and these insecurities that we're almost not even conscious of or we don't pay enough attention to to even realize that they're there. Yeah. And it's human nature, you know. It, it doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you or it's actually like, I think, all of us. <laughs> like every single one of us. Um and there's this really, this very human one that I think is at the core of, of all of it, which is like, I'm not worthy of love. Something's wrong with me. The, Tara Brock calls it the trance of unworthiness. And it's really widespread. Um, 
it, it's it's just human. It's just biological. It comes from our our fear of being of dying and of being left behind by by our pack, by our tribe. So it, it's like this is our work to do, you know. And we just we can go in for five minutes a day. You can start with two minutes a day, whatever. Like you can just take a deep breath and maybe put your hand on your heart or just give yourself like a little soothing touch and just just that. I think it it starts to open the door make that change possible and then what's really cool is when you start to imagine like oh okay what would I be like without that thought what does Elizabeth look like who's who's and it's not about banishing the voice like shut up go away it's actually like loving it like oh sweetheart I'm here for you and holding it and caring and then the voice is soothed and then you feel better and then what does that Elizabeth look like? Walking into rooms, into audition rooms, onto set, or into relationships to go on a first date and be this kind of like soothed person who thinks they're worthy of love. Like, that sounds pretty great. I think we need more of that in the world. I think that brings the, the mindfulness and, and meditation full circle perfectly. And, you know, it's you can't doubt that these habits you've built have, you know, impacted and had such a positive um, energy on your life. But mindfulness and meditation and self-compassion aside for the moment, what are some of the other habits that you've developed that have been, you know, instrumental to your success and, and happiness in life? I, that's, that's an interesting question for me because I'm kind of, um, I don't know how to describe myself in terms of like kind of developing habits. I'm, I don't, a big thing that I learned the, the past few years and, and especially through the practice that we're talking about is taking it more easy with myself and actually not imposing rhythms and structures and shoulds on myself as much as I had been. So I'm actually, I've been for, for years now taking weight off of my shoulders not adding more on and so I have a real sense of flow and a sense of curiosity about like my natural rhythms like some days I want to go to a workout class and work out and some days I don't and when I don't I don't you know I'm not like yeah. Monday Wednesday Friday at noon I'm not that person um so in terms of cultivating habits it's like mm, my answer is probably going to be a little different than a lot of people's to this question but in a way, I think that's a habit that I've been cultivating. Yeah, I was about to say it's almost a habit in itself not to develop habits. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. But yeah, the habit of, of ease um, and the habit of becoming curious about my natural rhythms. That's been really big for me, especially as a woman. Like, you know, there are there's a lot going on that we don't know, we don't see. And again, as, as an empath or someone who's, who's intuitive or, you know, someone who's very sensitive, people who are listening to this who are that way, they know who they are. That, those type of people, it's like our habit is rest, resting when we're tired. Our habit is creating boundaries um, in relationships or creating boundaries when we go out or the habit of self-care, taking long baths burning Palo Santo around my apartment, um, checking in with my mom and dad on a regular basis, eating really um, nourishing foods, um, going for walks in the evening. 
you know, there, there's a real kind of sense of ease to my life. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I like it. <laughs> so now we move on to, you know, the final four questions. And the first being, if you had to issue a challenge to our audience listening right now, something they can take from this podcast and implement into their life this week that's going to, you know, in turn better their life somehow what would your challenge to our audience be for this week i would challenge everyone listening to this to take five minutes in the morning every day to care for yourself and your body that could be sitting for five minutes and noticing thoughts and coming back to breath that could be um taking five minutes in the morning to just kind of stretch, you know, and, and just breathe deeply, but taking five minutes to go more deeply into the body and soften the mind in a caring way. That's, that would be so epic if everybody did that. Oh my God. And come find me on my Instagram and tell me all about it. (laughs) I'm sure they will. You mentioned at the top of the call, the untethered soul. Are there any other books that you've read that have had uh, an impact on your life? Oh my gosh, yes. So The Untethered Soul, I also mentioned The Power of Now. I love um, A New Earth, also by Eckhart Tolle. Um, The book A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson, which is basically um, a a succinct version of A Course in Miracles. Um, And uh, there's this tiny little book by Deepak Chopra I really like called The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. So cool. So helpful. I will do my best to put those in the description for everyone as well. Yay! (laughs) Are there any societal rules or societal norms that you love to break? Oh, my God. Sorry, that's a really deep question. All of them. (laughs) Um. I think for me, like I've learned how valuable it is to say no, say no to an invitation, say no. Uh, As Tracy Ellis Ross says, no is a complete sentence. In particular, as a woman and as a woman of color, it's huge. We have to learn that. We have to learn to say, no, mm -mm, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. No, thanks. Um, And then again, as a woman of color, as a person of color, the question of societal norms or society's image of you or the the way society is projecting things onto you are conditioning through society, it becomes a very different question. Um, and it becomes really even more of a of a Herculean feat for for those folks, those marginalized folks to to see themselves through the eyes of love and worthiness. So I feel like every time I sit down and practice as a person of color, I am breaking societal norms. Picture a scenario in which every person in the world is tuned in to the exact same frequency. You have just been given the power to broadcast a short but impactful message and every person on this earth is going to hear it. What would Elizabeth's message to the world be? The thing that, the thing that pops to my mind is you are worthy you belong and you can choose to love 
instead of fear every moment and that that can be that can be your gift to the world fantastic that's a brilliant answer thank you for that thank you this was like the best oh my god (laughs) (laughs) have you enjoyed have you enjoyed the conversation so much so much i i i've done quite a bit of like different you know podcasts and press and things and normally we are talking exclusively about work stuff so it's been really incredible to I'm I'm really curious to to see how you know your audience responds to it and if it resonates with people and I really do hope that folks come and and connect with me and let me know um because it's I do these these practices at home and it's kind of all kicking around in my head so I'm curious like how it resonates with others so on that note where can our audience connect with you on social media and I like my Instagram is the best place because I'm the most active on there. It's um, my name, Elizabeth A. Grujon. Um, and I also have a website, www.elizabethgrujon.com. And my Twitter is at the Eli Gru, the first three letters of my first and last name. But again, I'm really more active on Instagram. Okay. So that's the I'll most... Be- place oh thank you so much thank you for your questions i i had a blast doing this so and i hope you and yours are all well during the quarantine and just taking good care and that does it for today's episode with elizabeth grujon tune in monday for another episode of the freedom pack podcast visit the website at freedompack.co.uk Check us out on Instagram at Freedom Pact and for video versions of the podcast, head over to youtube.com forward slash Freedom Pact.